It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey guys, we are here for another Ultimate Divisional Crossover, the second of the week, Monday's episode on the New Orleans Saints. Of course, today's episode is, of course, on your beloved Atlanta Falcons, followed up later this week by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and well as the Carolina Panthers. Of course, you guys know me. I'm Aaron Freeman on Twitter at FalcFans, and I'm joined by my fellow NFC South hosts. Guys, go ahead and introduce yourselves. What's going on, y'all? Ross Jackson here from Locked On Saints. You can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson NOLA. Glad to be here with you, fellas. David Harrison here from the Locked On Bucks podcast on Twitter at dharrison82. And Billy Rossetti of Locked On Panthers at Bill underscore Rossetti, R-I-C-C-E-T-T-E. So, guys, you know, yesterday's chat about the Saints was fun. Uh, I believe today's chat about the Falcons will be even more fun. And (laughs) we want to kick things off by talking about some of the Falcons offseason moves, talking about their free agent moves as well as their draft moves. And it's interesting because I actually went back prior to us uh, recording this and went back to our February Ultimate Divisional crossover to talk to see what we talked about then because it was so long ago so many things have happened in the world since february but uh i wanted to hear what you guys had question marks going into the offseason in terms of areas of concern it feels like the falcons addressed them i know uh we talked a, a lot about the falcons upgrading their pass rush they went out and got dante fowler they went out and drafted marla davidson in the second round they even traded for charles harris the former first round pick with the miami dolphins after the draft i know there were concerns about filling the possible shoes of austin hooper if they let him walk in free agency they went out and got hayden hurst trading for him at the tight end position from the baltimore ravens i know there were concerns about the running back position because we didn't know what the future of Devonte freeman was going to be at that time and of course the falcons went out there and got none other than todd Gurley. And in addition to that, their number one draft pick was A.J. Terrell. He's going to fill the shoes of Desmond Trufant at the cornerback position. They got their young heir apparent to Alex Mack at the center position and Matt Hennessy in round three. He might also compete for a potential vacancy at the left guard position. And of course, the biggest offseason move that the Falcons made was in round seven when they picked up Sterling Hoffrichter out of Syracuse, the yes. punter extraordinaire. Yes. <laughs> uh, that is going to be the, the one move that we will look back at this offseason and say, yes, if the Falcons had to draft Sterling Hoffrick, the, the, the big time punter out of Syracuse, I don't know how they could have possibly gone 12 and four and, and went all the way to the Super Bowl. So <laughs> I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on, on these offseason moves. Sort of how much do they move the needle? Did they address some of the concerns that you guys had going into the offseason with the Falcons roster? Yeah, uh, I'll kick us off over here from the Saints. Um, look, I, I love the moves that a lot of the uh, a lot of the moves that the Falcons made. I love the moves that they made to bolster that pass rush, in particular. Like you mentioned, Marlon Davis was one of my favorite uh, defensive lineman going into this draft. I really, really liked. Him. He was part of a great, uh, great defensive line in college, and now he gets to be part of a very good defensive line in uh, in Atlanta as well. The addition of Dante Fowler, who Saints fans have some personal experience with, uh, <laughs> and all, and so uh, I, I really love 
loved what they were able to do there. You know, AJ Terrell, the uh, cornerback that was drafted in the first round, had a bad time the last time he was in the Superdome, but he's still a very talented guy. He's scheme versatile. He himself is versatile. He's a big physical guy. He's got the quickness. He's got fluid hips. It, he's got a lot of the tools that you want to see uh, in a corner. And I think that a lot of people write him off, particularly Saints fans write him off because of the way that he performed against LSU, which really just like, to me, that's not a barometer that you want to hold any defensive recruits to is the way that they performed against historically the best offense in college football. Right. So for me, I look at all of the other work that he did and he put together some fantastic work over the season. So I really like him. Uh, I have some questions obviously about uh, Todd Gurley and I think everybody does just in terms of his health and how he's going to hold up and things like that. But, you know, look, you saw them be one of the teams in the NFC South as pretty much every team was in the NFC South that brought in some key free agents that brought in some key additions and continue to sort of update and do what they needed to do in order to, uh, in order to stay competitive, because this is a, a division that a lot of different players kind of flocked to over the off season. And the Falcons were definitely a big part of that. So for me, uh, you know, it, it's funny actually, because we had, so at SB nation, you guys know, we had a rivalry week, right. Uh, recently. And I had to write, the post for the website of why I hate the Atlanta Falcons. And I really don't hate the Atlanta Falcons. So I kind of had to reach a little bit. I went to uh, some of the coaching, coaching connections, you know, uh, the Mike Smith's, the dirt cutters of the world. And then of course, uh, Atlanta and Arthur Blank stealing the Buccaneers GM right from under them only to defeat them uh, late in that season and keep them out of the playoffs. But I, I look at this roster and I just, you know, to me, honestly, Aaron, it kind of seems like they ran in place a little bit. I mean, I like AJ Terrell. I like some of the players they brought in. Todd Gurley's a huge question mark. But I almost kind of wonder if they really got better up front, you know, with your with your starting 11 on each side and your starting packages, or if they really got better in depth. And when I look at the depth of their roster, I feel like that's where they improved the most, which, you know, week one through eight, I don't know if that's really going to show as much as, as, as Falcons fans as the team themselves would hope. Uh, but then, you know, weeks 18, eight to 17 and in, into the playoffs, if they make it there, might, you know, might benefit from those depth pieces a little bit better. I guess my real big question, which I'll save, for the, the for the Q and A session uh, at the end of this episode is really along the offensive line because you guys drafted two of my favorite offensive linemen last year and Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry so I'm kind of curious as to what kind of steps you might see them taking but for me personally with the Falcons I feel like they stayed kind of in place which isn't bad when you consider they finished second place in the NFC South but then of course when you look at what the Buccaneers did and then uh, we kind of mentioned on the on the Saints episode with the Panthers. Uh, being kind of a sneaky thing with Teddy Bridgewater in there, you know, uh, you can't really undersell him too much. I wonder if the Falcons hurt themselves in 2020, but maybe did some better things for 2021 and, and moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, I agree that this has been interesting. I, I'm going to go like, um, I'm going to talk quick about one of the coaching moves too, because they also had uh, an interesting coaching move where he Morris now comes in as um I forget. This is his first year, if I remember. <laughs> Everything feels so long ago with all this stuff going on. Yeah. But uh, this, I, this is his first year as defensive coordinator. Am I correct saying that? He took over defensive play calling on third downs and then the two-minute offense during the bye week last year. Okay. So he's now going to be the full-time – Full-time D coordinator. D coordinator now. Yep. And, I mean, you know, Morris has had some some solid success over his time. You know, we, we know he didn't have the greatest head coaching time. But uh, as a defensive coach, we know he's really solid. So I'm really curious what he's going to come up with with his defense. But, yeah, there's a lot of solid young pieces. I thought Ross made a, a great note on A.J. Terrell. I mean, that, that was one of the things that kind of irritated me, too, uh, throughout draft season on A.J. Terrell. Oh, well, he stunk against LSU, blah, blah, blah. Well, 
when you're facing a team that when you're facing a quarterback that threw 60 touchdowns in a season, you fa- you're facing the, uh, one wide receiver that caught 20 passes, another wide receiver that caught 17, and oh, by the way, the one that caught 20 is still in college. When you're facing no- those kind of studs, of course you're going to have a tough time because, of course, the offense is going to get to you because, you know, you have a guy like Joe Brady and the greatest offense ever. Of course they're going to scheme something to to make you look bad. But the other the rest of the season, he did good. This is like – when Teddy Bridgewater was coming in, into the NFL and he had a lot of great film on field, but then he gets to his pro day and he kind of stinks. And I was like, Oh, well, you had a bad pro day. Let's get everybody get off of this. Blah, blah, blah. Well, no, like he's still a solid player. Like, was it a bit of a surprise? They took him at 16 a little bit, but I totally get the value or I totally understand the pick. They needed a corner and Terrell might not have been there in round two. And I think the shock value of that pick too was lessened a couple picks later when uh, the Raiders took Damon Arnett, who a lot of people had as like a, a second or third round value and they take him at 19. Now, granted the Raiders and the back of my mind, I'm still wanting to say Oakland. That's why I'm com- coming back and saying the Raiders, they didn't pick to like 80. So I get, you know, why they took Arnett when they did, but um, you know, you guys hit kind of hit the nail on the head on some of the na- names that they mentioned, obviously Dante Fowler, uh, the basically the replacement to, to attack McKinley and then you guys hit the nail on the head with Todd Gurley. What's his health going to be? You know, how is the knee held up? Cause obviously he just hasn't been the same since that Super Bowl. when, you know, you could argue Sean McVay mismanaged him, whatever the case may be. I do have a question though. What was it about Tennessee that seemingly every Falcons free agent wanted to go there? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, Jack Crawford goes there, Ty Sombrello, Vic Beasley. I don't know. I, I guess I guess Tennessee's building something there. I don't know. But, yeah, Atlanta should be an interesting. And then, obviously, you know, Dan Quinn, I think, is still once again on the hot seat. If they have another down here, he finally should get the boot. I totally get why they brought him back. But, boy, I don't know. Atlanta's been – very interesting to follow over the last couple seasons. They seem like they have a lot on paper, but then just seems like something happens that just kind of irritates you and make you, make you think like, how could this happen? Irritate is the right word. Uh, Bill. <laughs> uh, if, if, if you listen to lockdown Falcons, uh, but you know, I, I, you know, the points you guys made raised about AJ Terrell, I'll, I'll happily admit that I wrote off AJ Terrell all off season long because of the LSU game. And then when I finally sat down and watched him like a week before the draft, I was like, oh, this is the perfect Falcons pick. This makes perfect <laughs> sense for the Falcons to take him in round one. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting with, with Todd Gurley, you, you, the questions about his knee. We'll see. You know, I think the expectations is the knee is going to be healthy. The question is going to be, has it taken enough of a step back with that sort of arthritic condition are we going to see the Todd Gurley of old or are we going to see a diminished version of Todd Gurley, which is still probably an above average to good starting running back in this league, but not the guy that you can necessarily carry an entire offense like he did for two years with the Rams. So I think that's going to be a big question uh, for this Falcon team. We have more questions coming up for this Falcon team uh, with one of those being the one that you guys raised about this coaching staff. And we'll sort of talk a little bit more about where the Falcons fit within the NFC South. Have they elevated themselves? Are they the number one team to challenge the Saints? We'll get more into that topic 
coming up later today on today's ultimate divisional crossover here on uh, your entire NFC South slate of Lockdown Podcast shows right now. So, guys, we are here for another ultimate divisional crossover. Uh, here, Aaron Freeman, Locked On Falcons host. And we've talked a little bit about the Falcons offseason moves and whether or not they have moved the needle. I'm, I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts. They sort of, thanks to the heroics of Deion Jones against Jameis Winston at the end of last season, they were able to move into second place This for the NFC South. But I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts. I know, Ross, you might have a strong opinion. David, you might have a differing opinion on sort of if the Falcons are the biggest challenger to the Saints. And I guess we'll, we'll decide if Bill's the tiebreaker here to decide <laughs> uh, to answer that question. But uh, I'm, I'm curious where you guys see the Falcons sort of slating in and fitting in within this NFC South division. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, Ross, I think you're on mute. I can't hear you. I was going to say, uh, let's, let, uh, let's let David jump in first because I'm inter- more interested in responding to him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my opinion of where the Falcons are going to slide in in the NFC South in 2020 kind of goes in line with what I said about kind of how I view their roster where, to me, they look like they really kind of just ran in place. You know, you get A.J. Terrell, which I think is a great talent. And for the record, I came out of that national championship game, honestly, more disheartened about Grant Delpit and Christian Fulton because I felt like their misgivings – or their mistakes in that game were more diagnostic related, more uh, physical trait related. Whereas AJ Terrell, I think he just, it was, it was a lot of spotlight. And, you know, we all know if you're, if you're a defense and you're saying, Hey, cornerback, make all the plays and keep us in this game, you're already in a hole. So I feel like Terrell just got beat. You know, he just, he just got beat by other good players, by good throws and by the situation in the game. I don't, I didn't see as many uh, mechanical flaws in his game as the, as the other guys. Uh, but anyway, moving forward, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at with them, you know, uh, Todd Gurley, if he's at his best, obviously he's an upgrade over what they've had in the past. AJ Terrell, I feel like in year one is probably going to be uh, an equal to to Trufant, if not even a little bit of a, of a downgrade. So that's just kind of where I look at them. And then when you look at the New Orleans Saints, um, you look at the experience they have against this team, especially guys like Drew Brees, Sean Payton, uh, Michael Thomas knows this team very well, et cetera, et cetera. They haven't done a whole lot to really change things. The coaching staff is the same. The players by and large are the same. The play style, the play calling is going to be the same. There's one thing that I know that the Saints know that every Buccaneers and really every NFC South fan knows is that Dirt Cutter is going to run Dirt Cutter's offense. It doesn't really matter uh, what else is going on around him. So I just, I look at the Falcons coming in and when you stack up the NFC South, the Buccaneers have, have changed significantly. They've had some, some upgrades and some facelifts. The Carolina Panthers are really a completely new team um, if, when you compare 2020 to 2019. So the Falcons are kind of the one where they kind of come in doing what you expect them to do, which could also play into their into their favor, you know, if the Saints kind of overlook them and you get them into that trap game situation. But so I feel like because of that, the Falcons have dropped down to number three in the NFC South, not by a wide margin, but I just think they've dropped down to number three a little bit. And then if the Panthers can catch up 
uh, can accelerate their development this year. Uh, they may even challenge them to push them all the way down to the bottom. Yeah, I am, I am very much of the belief that the Falcons are the biggest challenger to the Saints for the NFC South. I don't know. A lot of people are going to hear that and be like, well, well, but the Bucks they added Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and all this. And I get it. I completely understand. I'm not invalidating any of that. I'm just really taking a look honestly and truly at the fact that this offseason is unlike any offseason that we've seen since 2011, right? Since there was the, the holdout and uh, these guys weren't able to play. And so when I look at this or not even the holdout, excuse me, the lockout, it was the other way around, mm-hmm. but um when I look at what the Falcons have done so far this off season, they've made improvements where, or they've, they've brought in the pieces that they need in order to translate to improvement at the places where they needed those improvements. And they're walking in with a, you know, with some consistency in terms of coaching, some consistency in terms of signal caller with Matt Ryan there and some consistency in terms of the people that are going to be communicating. Um, You know, the offensive line is going to be a big question mark. The secondary is going to be a big question mark and pass defense. I think is going to be a big question mark, but I think you can say that just about any team in the NFC South, for the most part, that the secondary, there are some big question marks. Even for the Saints, there are some question marks in terms of how does Norris Jenkins and how does Malcolm Jenkins, like how do those guys affect the secondary? Do they improve the secondary or is there a lack of translation there that ends up becoming an issue? I I don't think that that will be the case, but it's certainly a question uh, that you can ask. And so when I look at the Falcons, I just think that they have far less that they didn't choose to have to overcome than the other three teams in the NFC South outside of the Saints. And what I mean by that is that they have the same signal caller, some consistency across the board. And I think that that is going to be a big part of what's going to separate teams. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs are returning, what, like 20 of 22, 21 of 22 starters. That's huge for them. That's huge for them in an offseason like this. And I think that because of the big changes that we see the other teams in this division making versus the types of shifts that both the Saints and the Falcons made. The Saints and the Falcons should come out of this offseason in a little bit of a better position more quickly than these other two teams. I do think that Tampa Bay is going to be very good. I do think that Tampa Bay is going to be more of a challenger in the following year, and I think that they'll prove to be a greater challenger toward the end of the season. But going into this season, just based upon what we're seeing so far with the way that this sort of weird wacky sort of truncated offseason is i put the falcons as the biggest challenger at the moment yeah, i think that's a very valid uh way to go about that i mean and and that is something that's crossed my mind as well i may be underselling that impact you know i, I can admit mm-hmm. that um i just kind of feel like hopefully right i don't know how many snaps tom brady and, and his offensive teammates have taken in these little private workouts they've had but the ones know, that keep shut down on, <laughs> yeah bruce arians went on record talking about a lot of the, the missed snaps that they've had and the missed reps that they've had, but I think mm-hmm. Tom and his teammates are kind of making up for some of those, hopefully in, in the way that they're communicating and then some of the mental reps are getting in yep. the conversations they've had all off season. Um, so yeah, definitely. Uh, so my, my stance on that whole thing definitely could be underselling the factor of consistency in such a weird off season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that, and that's a great point. You know, it's, um, and it, this was something I thought about um, just as a general football stance. It's, it's pretty crazy to think that, the last time we all got together to record back in February, we were more confident of a 2020 season than we are today in the middle of July. That's how crazy this off season has been. But I think that's a great point by Ross is that, you know, cause I've even touched on this with the Panthers, these teams that are almost like brand new, a lot of new pieces, they haven't had 
OTAs. They haven't had, they're going to have a truncated training camp. We don't know what kind of practice time they're going to have, how much, or even how much of a group can be together. I mean, there's reports saying that rosters will be cut to 80 and they might practice like 20 at a time. So for a team like the Buccaneers with these new faces, that's going to be really interesting. That being said, I do kind of lean toward the Buccaneers as probably the top challenger just because, I don't know, I I just tend to like the pieces, uh, you know, not just Tom Brady, but obviously um, the weapons that Brady has outside of him, you know, and I like that Tom or that uh, the Buccaneers and, you know, we'll touch on this uh, when we dive more into the Buccaneers, but even in the draft when they went out and got Tyler John, a pretty talented receiver out of Minnesota, really intrigued by him. They went out and they, you know, tweaked the offensive line a little bit because they went on, they got Joe Haig from the Indianapolis Colts to, to help with the offensive line. Um, now, of course, they're in a bit of a battle with Shaq Baird in, in terms of the franchise tag. The NFL should just make an edge franchise tag, by the way, but that's a story for another time. But um, even looking at, like, the Falcons' schedule, you know, and I kind of touched on this with the Saints, just looking at, like, the back end of that Falcons' schedule, I mean, boy, the schedule makers didn't do them any favors. You know, you got uh, – or I don't know if I should say do them any favors, but it's certainly very division backlog. So if they're going to compete for this division or at least compete for a wild card, they're definitely going to earn it after their bye in week 10. I mean, they've got two of three against the Saints coming out of the bye, and then two of their last three are against the Buccaneers. And then the three games that are sandwiched in there are all against the AFC West, which just happens to include, of course, in week 16, the uh, those Kansas City Chiefs that we talked about, which – like Ross said, they only have, I think, one starter that they're replacing, which is uh, Stefan Wisniewski. Other than that, and and they just got even more dangerous because they have a, a tr- they drafted a tremendous running back in another of Ross's boys in uh, Clyde Edwards-Elair. So that's right. And I'm a huge CEH fan. Probably going to target him in fantasy, by the way. So at- Atlanta's tough. Atlanta's tough. It feels like every year we, we talk about Atlanta as a team that can really go either way. And, you know, you hope the injury bug doesn't bite them as it has the last couple of years. And this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I mean, Matt Ryan, let, you know, let's start, uh, let's see if he's going to start pushing a little bit more too. I know he's been getting a lot of flacks, you know, some of it certainly undeservingly, but um, let's see if Matt Ryan can continue to rally the troops. Um, but I, I love the weapons that they have. I think this is going to be a big season for Calvin Ridley. Um, really intrigued with um, even the guy like Laquan Treadwell. And then we mentioned uh, Hayden Hurst, what he's going to do in that offense. So this is a, uh, this is going to be fascinating. The Falcons are always so fascinating every year. Yeah, I think you guys hit the nail on the head with, with some of the big questions surrounding the Falcons. It seemed like a big question mark of the team's decision to retain their coaching staff um, after a disappointing 2019 season. But now, as Ross so eloquently pointed out, you can argue that that's a potential strength thanks to you know the, the hectic, offseason that we've had thanks to COVID-19 and other factors. And, you know, I think you guys raise excellent points. I, I feel like if this was a normal offseason, I would have no issue if someone wanted to put the Bucks 
as the sort of number two seed in the NFC South over the Falcons, just because we know the Bucks' potential and, and they potentially made a massive upgrade at the quarterback position, which we'll talk about later this week. Uh, in fact, on tomorrow's episode uh, and, and debate that and discuss that. But you look at the Falcons and you don't know sort of what, you know, if any of these moves that they've made, how big an upgrade, you know, you don't have the big sexy move like going out there and getting a Tom Brady and, and luring, you know, Gronk out of retirement or anything like that with the Falcons. You just see some solid additions, you know, some lateral moves in some cases. They got younger at some positions. They got older at other positions. Um, and I think it goes back to one of the points that David has made, which is, you know, how much do you trust in Dirk Cutter? You know, what Bill was talking about with Raheem Morris taking over play calling. Can this coaching staff get more out of this group? Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I'll let you guys have the floor. If, if you have questions related to those uh, topics or if you have other questions about the Falcons heading into the season besides the ones that we've already covered today. I'll ask one quick question, just continuing on the coaching staff, uh, because I'm, I'm sure you talked about it on your show, but what was it that led the Falcons to the decision to retain that coaching staff, particularly Dan Quinn at head coach? I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. They beat the Saints on the road after the bye um, pretty handily, if I can say so myself. And, you can, uh, but I'm not going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then they beat the 49ers on the road again. And I think it was really the 49ers game that sort of pushed them over the edge. And mm -hmm. it was just a decision by Falcons owner Arthur Blank saying like, okay, is this the team that we're going to be? You know, and, and I think that's the big question about the Falcons. Are they going to come into 2020 looking like the team they finished 2019 as when they won six out of the last eight games? Or are they going to do what they've done the last two years and start pretty slow? Last year, obviously, a one and seven start. The year prior to that, one and three start um, before they started to figure things out, but still only managed to finish seven and nine. So it, it's one of those things where I think the Falcons are, are betting on the team that beat the Saints and the team that beat the 49ers showing up this year. And if they are that team, then I think they are, you know, they would more side with what Ross's take is as sort of the number two team in the division. But if they don't live up to that expectation, then, you know, it's going to be more what David and Bill were saying, where there's just too, still too many lingering questions about this Falcon team. Gotcha. Yeah. And I have, I have kind of a follow-up to that, Aaron. Um, I mean, Arthur Blank, you know, his reputation anyway, from my understanding is that he's, he's not a guy who likes to fire coaches midseason, And I completely understand that. Uh, bringing this coaching staff in, like you said, because of the strong finish to last season. Is this a situation where you could see, I mean, has Arthur ever, I don't know if you know the history of it, has Arthur ever fired a coach midseason? And is this a situation where if the Falcons come out and start, you know, one and four, one and five, one and six, is this a situation where you could see uh, Dan Quinn removed in season and maybe replaced by, I mean, I would put Raheem Morris in there before I put Dirk Cutter in there, or I don't know who your special teams coach is, maybe that guy. Um, but is this a situation where you could see this happen with the Falcons in 2020? Uh, first, I want to say, David, I appreciate always having you on because you are with me on the dirt cutter slander on, on this podcast because <laughs> that's all we do on Lockdown Falcons. But I appreciate that. Uh, you know, the the only coach he's technically fired midseason was Dan Reeves back in 2003, but he didn't really fire Dan Reeves. He just basically told Dan Reeves that he wasn't going to keep him after the season. Mm -hmm. And then Dan Reeves was like, then why am I still here? And so basically Dan Reeves, I wouldn't say quit, but just kind of was just like, I'm uh, you know, there's no point in me finishing out the season if I can't keep my job. Um, so 
technically he has fired a coach midseason. And I think Wade Phillips took over as the interim coach for like the last three or four games. Obviously they had the Bobby Petrino incident where he didn't get fired. He just decided he <laughs> wanted to, you know, leave the building and, you know, didn't tell anybody. Um, so it's one of those things where Arthur, and then when you look at back at Mike Smith's dismissal, like we knew going into that week 17 game in which they got blown out by the Panthers back in 2014, like it, the, it leaked that the Falcons had hired a coaching firm to, you know, find the next head coach. And that got leaked like the week or two before the end of the season. So he had basically made the decision to move on from a coach uh, prior to the end of the year. So, you know, it's not necessarily in his history to fire a coach midseason, but he's made multiple times he's made the decision to move on from a coach, you know, during the season at some point. Uh, pretty much in, in every instance. And that was one of the things that we talked about, David, L- you know, last year where you, we did a crossover and you asked me, like, is is Dan Quinn going to get fired? And I was like, I think so. And then the next day they announced that he was keeping the job. Um, yeah, it was good so, timing. We appreciated yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, well, we, we definitely enjoyed that. <laughs> so, um, you know, thanks, Arthur Blake. But uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's going to be interesting because if the Falcons get off to a rocky start again, the season like they did the last couple of years, as I mentioned, I don't see how he won't have a choice not to move on at that point in time, because basically the whole point of him keeping Dan Quinn was, okay, you finished the season six and two, you need to pick up where you left off. So if they get off to like a one and four start or something like that, it just, it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where he's going to be able to retain his job for, for that much longer. Um, but we'll, we'll have to sort of see. But it, it's not, to answer your question, it's not necessarily in the MO of Arthur Blank, but it's not that far removed from him in terms of some of his past decisions that I wouldn't say he wouldn't do it, but he just hasn't done it so far. Okay, fair enough. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I just want to reiterate, listen, I, to all Falcons fans, I don't hate Matt Ryan, okay? I don't hate Matt Ryan. I think he's very, very good. Obviously, he struggled a little bit in, in 2019. Was, it was even good when, you know, just looking at his numbers, still pretty good when he was pressured. So don't come at me saying I absolutely hate Matt Ryan because It will come I don't. for you, Bill. It will come for <laughs> you. Well, you already got the smoke, fam. It's too late. You already got the smoke. <laughs> all good i could take it but just remember i I love matt ryan but um like like i said they're they're just an intriguing but they're just an intriguing team yeah Yeah, i I guess that's the bottom line for me they're they're a fascinating team to watch every year they they really are they're they're just so fun to watch yeah i you know it's it's their ceiling is high their floor is low and where they sort of fall into that um, or I shouldn't say low, like they're, you know, they could be like a three and 13 team. I'm just saying like relative to the expectations of what they should be, I think, you know, their floor is relatively low and, and potentially another seven to nine type of finish, which would be very disappointing. So 
as you guys have already mentioned, I think this is a playoffs or bust type of season for Dan Quinn and his coaching staff. If they don't make the playoffs, it's hard for me to see them surviving. But then again, as we've discussed many times so far this week, this is going to be a different kind of season uh, due to, you know, outside factors beyond football. So, you know, there's always that caveat that you know, who knows what happens this season in terms of uh, how ownership like Arthur Blake sort of judge and what standards are judging it by, because we don't know if, you know, what weird stuff was going to continue to happen in 2020. But I, I do think the the Falcons journey this upcoming season is going to be a fascinating one to watch. And we'll see if they can live up to these expectations and, and be a playoff team, or are they going to do the thing that they've done the last couple of years and continue to be uh, inconsistent and, and disappoint but I appreciate you guys um, joining me for another Ultimate Divisional Crossover. I'm looking forward to talking more insight into Tom Brady and uh, Antoine Winfield on tomorrow's uh, Bucks-focused Divisional Crossover. So I appreciate you guys uh, again and uh, looking forward to doing this two more times or three more times this week. Appreciate you, Aaron. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.